With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome into SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready. Chris Landry with me as well. It is Tuesday, December the 1st. We've made it to the 12th and what presumably will be the final month of 2020. The uh, finish line in sight. We've almost made it. Uh, yeah, that's all you can say. 2020 has just one month left in it, unless we are in for a surprise where they make an announcement that they're just going to continue to add months to 2020 so that we can be tortured. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Chris, how are you? I am doing well. Uh, it is, uh, we mentioned this a couple of times, it's normally the type uh, uh, week, the week after thanksgiving where you kind of look and say well boy the college season is coming and it's gone and it hasn't completely because you have conference championship weekend and then you start well then the army navy then you you see the bowl games but it kind of like hey that's it um not so much this year it makes for a fun december as you think about this you got three games left and well in some cases in a lot of cases um, certainly in the SEC, we're going to have that. Uh, things, again, hopefully uh, will allow. Uh, three more games, so it's going to be a fun December. Uh, it's going to take us right to uh, right to <laughs> Christmas. Yeah, no, we're, I mean, December's going to be fun. I, I, I think, knock on wood, I think we're going to get the games in. I think the league's determined to get the games in. I think the league has gotten the message across to its member institutions that they need to get the games in. And uh, so far, people are playing. And if you... If you look at some of the numbers, a, a lot of teams are playing under 53. But, you know, we were looking at snaps, snap counts from the uh, the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And if you take out, you know, guys that just played a snap or two or specialist or whatnot, both teams only played 30-some-odd players. You know, I mean, the whole you got to have 80-something people to play a game. The NFL proves that not to be the case week after week after week. Yeah, and high school too. Yeah, high school too. So you can do it. Um, I, I suspect if Greg Sankey and company could go back in time, they would have uh, been a little harsher about that, and we would probably be close to done right now. But as it stands, like you said, we're going to get uh, a weekend and in, in three weekends in December that we normally don't get, and uh, we're going to get them this time. So uh, a lot to get to. From the weekend that was, uh, Alabama just mauled Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Texas A&M beat LSU 20-7. to Florida rolled all over Kentucky 34-10. to Georgia with JT Daniels at quarterback whipped South Carolina. Missouri just humiliated Vanderbilt in a game that 
the game itself got really overshadowed by uh, Sarah Fuller uh, the, becoming the first uh, female player in Power Five history. And then uh, Ole Miss beat Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl here in Oxford, 31-24. to 24. So we'll get to all of those games. Uh, Derek Mason fired on Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about the Vanderbilt job. Uh, Chris, a lot of talk still lingering out there about Auburn, about Tennessee, that, hey, don't be shocked if these coaching changes uh, don't continue. Uh, LSU had a high-profile opt-out, I guess, on Sunday. Curious to see what you think about the, the Tigers' situation in a minute. So a whole lot to get to, really, and then there's a whole slate of games this weekend coming up. Texas A&M's at Auburn. Arkansas's at Missouri. Florida meets Tennessee. Vanderbilt heads to Georgia. South Carolina is at Kentucky, and um, Alabama is at LSU. Ole Miss and Mississippi State both have weekends off that were uh, moved to open dates to accommodate other games. Ole Miss and Mississippi State will make up those games later in December is my understanding. So uh, the SEC, by the way, Chris, announced yesterday that it will release the uh, rest of the schedule on Friday, and it will release all TV times for the rest of the season on Sunday. So the unknown is almost over. Yeah, it uh, certainly uh, this past week went uh, very much according to form. Um, the colossal blowout by Missouri of Vanderbilt, I thought that game might be a tad closer put. Every other game pretty much went who I expected. Uh, A&M did not play well, and I know there was some bad weather there, and we'll get to that, but – Pretty much to form, and I would say that the rest of the way is going to be pretty much the same, pretty much close to form. I don't expect uh, any real, um, certainly no massive upsets, and I don't, you know, I don't see it happening. Although I, I do think that uh, Auburn A&M could be interesting, um, maybe more so, and it really is going to depend upon A&M. Um, because I think there's some things that were unearthed in that A&M game that really shows in the LSU game that shows that, listen, A&M's good. Their program is in great shape. The future is good. But in terms of this year, they are not a national playoff caliber team. And if they get there, it would be like probably many before that have gotten to that point and really get their comeuppance because they've got some limitations there that uh, I think were, again, unearthed in that LSU game, but it's going to be interesting Vanderbilt situation. And I'm looking forward to getting into, to that, um, the game, but certainly with the job opening, uh, I don't know. I, Neil, I am, I don't get the feeling from Tennessee or Auburn, um, that anything's going to happen there. We still though got three games left. So let's, as of right now, there's nothing going to be done, but I think people are anticipating the worst, as they always do. But what if? Well, okay, let's just kind of let the what ifs happen. I don't think anything is completely off the table with anybody, but I don't get the um, you know the impression that even if it goes bad, um, particularly at Tennessee. But we, we shall see. It's going to be interesting, and so much for the – Look, I, I still think we're going to have less openings than normal years, but as we've seen with a few of them, it's not going to stop some from from making a move if they feel like that they need to do it, and they will go into the money vault and figure out how to pay for it. Yeah, uh, you know, the one at Vanderbilt, the only thing that was surprising about 
Derek Mason's firing. I had been told, and you and I talked about this, I think, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I had been told that both sides had pretty much resigned themselves to the relationship being over, that this was not going to be some deal where either side was clamoring for the other to stay. This was a, a, a divorce, if you will, where both parties had decided that it was best to move on. And um, I was a little surprised just by the timing of it, given the fact that Vanderbilt spent the weekend really getting the praise of the national media, getting the whole, I don't even want to get into it because I've made people mad with what I've said about it, and it's just not worth it to keep beating the horse. But, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about Sarah Fuller throughout the day. It's very rare that you lose 41 to nothing, and um, you're the one getting the post-game interview on the field. Um it's very rare that you lose 41 to nothing, and the next day the national media is holding a teleconference with with one of your players. That's just very rare. But it's also very rare that on a day that you're getting a lot of positive attention, that's when you fire your coach. Yeah. With, with just two, two, I guess what, Vanderbilt has two games left. That just felt odd to me, but it was over. It was very clear that Derek Mason had lost his team. Uh, it was very clear that wow. – there was there was no nowhere nowhere left for Derek Mason and Vanderbilt to go, and in a completely lost season, it doesn't really matter who finishes at the top. And if getting Derek out of there makes it makes it easier for players, makes it easier for coaches, makes it just easier for anyone, then why not? I suppose. I think that the Derek Mason situation, once you know they lost their athletic director and. Let's just call it what it is. This Candace Story Lee is just another puppet for the administration that says, yeah, just go ahead and do your thing. Run the, you know, quasi-intramural program and don't bother us over here on, uh, on um, you know, uh, here at Kirkland Hall. That's Kirkland is where – Vanderbilt, that's where the ivory tower offices are. And they don't, they, they, you know, they, they thumb their nose up at athletics. And look, I think that the big thing with Vanderbilt is that that could be a good job. It is not a good job. And I'll get into, I talked to a couple of people that I know that I think are candidates and we've talked about the job and over time. And I know at Landry football, I'll get into it in, in greater details, but the, the reality is that job is, not a good job because they don't care enough about the football program to put forth what it takes to be successful. Vanderbilt has money. They just choose to not spend it on football, which is fine. It's their money. It's a private school. I don't care. Sure. Just don't, don't just hire coaches and fire coaches and say, yeah, that we're, we care. Look, we just fired the coach that that's, that's not how it works. Um, and it's going to get tougher and tougher to get someone that is worth their salt because if you go there, it's a career killer. You will get your head coaching job, get the money, invest it wisely because you're not going to coach again. Now, maybe you get the right person that gets a the Will Muschamp treatment where maybe they'll say, you know what, nobody wins at Vanderbilt and he's got enough of a reputation. Maybe you get that second yeah, but that stain is there. Look, Donardo and Franklin left there. Most people that get fired and you don't hear from again. I I, I thought Bobby Johnson did 
decent things there, all things considered what Vanderbilt is. So it, it is not a job that I would recommend any of my friends in coaching to take because it is not one you could you could survive, you know, I mean, in terms of a career. So let me throw the name that I'm hearing a lot, and I do think there are some tea leaves that indicate that there is at least some mutual interest or perhaps he's using it as some leverage. There's, If you just follow Twitter followers and Twitter, who, who suddenly people follow and unfollow and all of that stuff, it's pretty obvious that Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina has at least some interest in the job. And if you listen to uh, uh, Candace Lee, discuss the qual- the qualities she's looking for in a head football coach she seemed to be talking about him yesterday is 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 there any chance that it's this cut and dried that it's him i don't think so I, I mean i think that he's certainly somebody that would be a really good get for them the question is if you're jamie chadwell i'll repeat what i just said nice job there you go to vanderbilt and you won't be heard from again You'll lose, and that's your one chance of being a head coach. What I told, and I told one of the candidates that's kind of listed on a lot of lists, that's got a background there, I said, look, you'd be better off replacing Luke Fickle at Cincinnati or getting a really good Conference USA job or American Athletic because what you can do is you can win and compete there. Yeah. I mean, um, Tulane has better facilities than Vanderbilt. It's, you know, it's not in the SEC, but that's the point. You go in with lesser facilities than a Tulane, and you got to compete in the SEC where they're Taj Mahals, and you you're, have a hard, hard time competing. So my point is, all you ever want, I always ask a bunch of coaches, what do you want? All I want is a chance. You don't get a chance at Vanderbilt. That's the problem. You don't have a chance at Vanderbilt. And that's the issue. So, look, I mean, if you just want to have head coach by your name and if you feel like a lot of these guys feels like it's going to be different when I get there, and that's – where naivete just comes in, I'm going to be able to do it. It's just like somebody that thinks that they're going to change a player. Look, I mean, God bless them. They'll get one of them to bite. So I don't know that I would predict that this person or that person won't take it. My advice to Jamie Chadwell is that would be a huge mistake because you're in a position to get a really good job. Frat, you're on pace to getting a better job than Vanderbilt, even at the Power Five level. But, you know, um, there are many Group of Five jobs that are better than the Vanderbilt job that can get you ultimately where you want to go. And if you go to Vanderbilt, it's one thing to say, you know what? I love Nashville. I love Vanderbilt. I I went to school at Vanderbilt or whatever. The problem is you will not be in a position to be able to successfully have enough footing there to keep that job very long. 
you know, it's just going to be one of those things where you're just not going to be able to keep it. So I think it's, I think it's very, very difficult. Yeah, I do too. Um, I think it's a really, really tough job. It's, I think it's an impossible job today. I don't think they're committed to winning in any sport. The only sport they're committed to is, is baseball. And that's really because Tim Corbin, the baseball coach there runs it himself. It's that the, the uniform says Vanderbilt, but what the uniform really should say is Corbin. And and I mean that as a compliment because he he runs that program completely, uh, completely separate of the building you just referenced. He doesn't even go in that building. He doesn't want his players going in that building. He it's a completely separate deal. And uh, so I mean that as a compliment. He's 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 turned Vanderbilt baseball into an absolute elite, maybe the elite national power, and that's a credit to him. But just because he does that doesn't mean that you can do it in other sports because in fact that's not happening in other sports. And this isn't a knock on on uh, Sarah Fuller, or certainly a knock on females or anything like that. I mean, I'm I'm the father of two daughters. That being said, that deal over the weekend was it was at best not particularly well thought out, in my opinion. And that's that's just kind of the all. All you can feel free to talk about it for the next. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I mean, I I don't. I'm not gonna. You know, I had be honest with you. I haven't really addressed it at all in my forums, just because it just it's it is what it is, and that is it was. Uh, listen, I'm I'm really happy. Uh, and by the way, I did check. Um, Kaylee Nida back in 2002, she was at Colorado. She never got in a game, but then she transferred to New Mexico and she kicked a couple of extra points. Um, and then there've been a couple of others, but none at the power five level. I, I think the concept of look, if there is a young lady that's capable of kicking and can help, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, that's, that's fine. I, I think this was clearly a publicity stunt. This was clearly made to be, um, like the focal point, I think to the point where the sec naming her one of the sec players of the week just makes a mock it's, it's patronizing is what it is. Because I, I think that she's probably embarrassed by that. I think if you want to say, and they have done it, that this is a hallmark event. She's done something that's phenomenal. That's great. But to say she was co-SEC player of the week or one of them is very patronizing to her. I and mean, this is someone that's a very accomplished by by all accounts as a soccer player. So, I mean, to sit there and say, you know, I mean, that, that just that that is says just by showing up, you know, we're going to give you that. I, I think there's been more than enough publicity to say it is what it is. Um, you know, just it's a great feat, a great accomplishment. Uh, it's great for young, more than anything, more for young girls to say, look, I've got an option that can be anything. Her message was phenomenal. She handled herself well. Everybody else basically's approach has been patronizing. And, and I think. I, I, that's the way I see it. But, uh, and look, I don't know. I have, I, I don't know if my understanding, she has not kicked football. So she hasn't much practice time with time and with development. She, she might be pretty good if she wants to do that. Um, I do know this. I only saw about 12 of her kicks in practice. 
And the story of the game, you know what the story of the game to me was? How pathetic does Vanderbilt, how pathetic are they? They can't even, could not score a touchdown to even try, give her an extra point try. She couldn't give in field goal range. I mean, how pathetic was Vanderbilt? That's the story of the game. Well, but, and to me, the most interesting thing about the Vanderbilt game, and we'll get into these other games in a minute, but that Vanderbilt had actually shown a pulse in previous weeks, you know, against Yes, I said it was going to be a, you know, I said it would be, you know, maybe a two possession game. They quit. So it's pretty obvious that they quit. I mean, that that's exactly and then it, like South Carolina, they quit. And that's another story that that's just really bugging me. And college football is is in a bad way because now we're seeing guys, as I said, they would. It started with quitting. And I'm not going to play in the bowl. And that's what it's quitting. But I opt out my. Fanny. Yeah, you're quitting. quitting. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, to finish with the uh, Vanderbilt situation, I thought, I mean, Missouri played well. Vanderbilt quit. And in this, in, and in some ways, it just was give them some publicity and Vanderbilt could be known for something. And you know what? Not anybody talked about the fact that they scored no points. It was all about Sarah. So it was a positive. And then, you know, that's, 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 you know, that's where we are with it. But yeah, it I, I did watch her kick boy again with, with training. I, I, I saw the pregame the kicks, and obviously I've been scouting for 30 plus years now. Boy, she doesn't have much of a leg, you know, in terms of kicking the extra point areas, they were so low. But that just could be technique alterations too that we'll see. I I I don't think again the storyline is how good of a field goal kicking future she has was that it was symbolic that, hey, it's um, it's great. And I think we're seeing it now with, with young ladies getting into because they can they have forms to play football now in some late female leagues, and we're seeing it with them getting into coaching and administration, and that's all that's all wonderful. So that part is good. But I think sometimes, again, you can get patronizing to the point where, oh, my goodness, I mean, it's – I mean, give her some respect. I mean, she's a world-class athlete. You know, don't treat her like she's a two-year-old patting her on the head and, you know, like, yeah, we we give you a <laughs> – I just, I just thought it was overdone. Anyway, that's so that's my take on it. But um, I've got real concerns and more and more about players, and i got bigger issues with players that are now quitting in college football. It is a major, major problem. And this year – become more of an excuse let's jump into some games we'll start with the iron bowl alabama wins 42 to 13 nick saban wasn't there it didn't matter mac jones had a, a big game devonta smith had a big game alabama's defense improving week over week over week which is typically what alabama's defenses do uh for auburn it was a a comeuppance you knew this was coming uh you you knew that alabama was going to win this game handedly Auburn scores a little bit late to to make it sound a little bit better than it was, but this was a beatdown from very early on. Alabama, you and I have said this for weeks now, they they continue to prove us right. Alabama's the best team in the country. Yeah, I text Nick uh, at night. I said two words, Wally Pip. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't tell you what he responded to me, but I, um, I, I will guess it was two words. Uh, yeah, uh, it was three, but yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was 
it was uh, in in hillbilly slang. It was was four. <laughs> no, um, it is um, was a, exactly like I thought. You know, in studying the tape, it, it, you know the thing that impresses me about Alabama is, aside from all the talent, they do such a great job setting up defenses. Offensively, I'm I'm speaking of yeah. first of all, and and it just do a really good job. I mean, the subtle nuances in the route concepts, the ability to be able to work the pump fake simultaneous, and it's it's taught this way with the turning back of the head to where the the play where um, Devontae Smith was wide open. They say, well, nobody covering. Oh, yeah, there was a coverage there. That was a that was a bite. Um Mr. Smoke got smoked because he bit on the play fake and he had the, you know, the, the outside contain. And it was like, yeah, so it wasn't like, well, oh, how could you not cover the guy? Oh, no, no. He, there was a coverage concept. He just bit hard on it. You've got to be very careful. And the, the, the other thing that jumps out at me, nobody does a better job with double moves than Alabama. But you can't run. You look at a team that's good with double moves at any level. It starts up front in the offensive line. You can't work double moves if you don't have time. If you don't have protection, they've got that. That that is, the offensive line has been phenomenal. It's been the best in college football. Uh, Notre Dame's is really good in the run game. Alabama's is good in grading out both run and the pass. Dominant performance. Um, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat them, and the defense is getting better. Boy, they are doing a good job of coming up, leveraging the run, and it's going to be quite the – I am curious to see how their defense handles and plays Florida. Um, I mean, that's going to be fun to watch um, and see how that matches up, and that's going to give a somewhat of an indicator because I don't really think there's a better offense that they'll play throughout the rest of the season. Yes, that's including Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. I I, I think that's a real good, real good challenge. Although, now let me just say that Clemson's defense is is a lot better than Florida. So I'm not I'm not going to say that. But that on that side of the ball is going to be a lot of fun. But no, there's there's no question about it. Alabama's on a different level and I think we'll see that through certainly the remainder of the regular season. Uh, Texas A&M and LSU met in uh, College Station. This game did not go the way I thought it would go. I thought it would be a lot higher scoring than this. Texas A&M 20, LSU 7. LSU scores late. It was 20 to nothing for the longest time. Um, I was surprised that A&M's offense struggled as much as it did. On the flip side, give their defense a ton of credit. They absolutely stifled LSU. The defense is really good. The offensive line for A&M is really good. But here's the Achilles heel that I alluded to earlier. They've got they, – they can't get open, okay? So LSU played press man, and, and this is where – you know, that's – obviously Alabama killed them, and this is early part of the year. And this is where against really good teams. And LSU played, again, tight man coverage, and they got two guys that are pretty good at getting open but not elite. And if you take those away, no one else can get open. So the quarterback was shut down. And, you know, Spiller got loose a couple of times. It's what they've got to get 
to that next level is they've got to get guys that can get open, that can beat uh, press coverage. And if you bracket and roll your coverage to one and bracket another, they really don't have consistent guys that can beat you. And one of them is the tight end. So, um, I, I, I look, I, it, it rang quite a bit start of the second half. And I sense in the game at Jimbo, I mean, Jimbo knew that LSU wasn't going to score. And as you said, they just scored in a mop up to, I, I just think Jimbo said, I, I can't screw with, you know, turning the football over and giving LSU put because at 20 to nothing, I mean, you know, you, you turn the football over, it's, it's 2014, like nothing. And, and they haven't earned it, but they're in a game now. And I just thought he kind of said, we, we just got to protect the win. And it was, it was not the type of performance. Look, I, I get it for the, for the purposes of style points. It wasn't really good. Um, and, and they're and, playing and, style points right now. They need style. That's exactly right. And then there's a lot of talk about well, they didn't get it. That they're not going to make the playoffs unless there's a lot of help and there's no other options. Um, they're not. Look, they got they got a couple more games still to finish. Three. You know, if they right, yeah. But I mean, Auburn and in I mean, not Tennessee. A, a, a blowout win over Auburn would be impressive. Because Alabama just did it, and if you're able to do it, it, you could then you could write off. Well, the LSU game was an anomaly. It was right, you know. You can write, but if they, you know, they, do. they get Ole Miss in, in two weeks, and, and that's- yeah, if they're able to blow those, if they're able to really slow down Ole Miss, you know, they, they should be able to score a lot of points on Ole Miss, though. They should be able to score a lot of points on on Tennessee. If they're able to do it also against Auburn, you know, again, from the impressive meter, then they're able to do it. But they got to really over-impress. You know, look, they're not going to make it unless things collapse around them. Um, But, you know, I think they're a good team. I think and have always felt that they are well-coached. I think they're being built properly. I think that that's the program that's the most intriguing in the West outside of Alabama. That's the one that I'm most comfortable saying consistently year in and year out, they're going to be there because of how they're building it. But they're, they're not, I'm not, I think Jimbo does a really good job with quarterbacks because they were able to run the football. I, I think he's gotten as much out of Kellen Mond as you can get. I don't think that's a real strength, which to me says an awful lot when you, you know, you're able to work around your quarterback as well as they had. Um, but that's kind of how I saw the game. Very unimpressed with AM's offense um in that game. Yeah, I I actually think their game against Auburn has a chance to get squirrely, and I've said this a couple of times. The, and this is me covering Auburn all these years. I was a beat writer covering Auburn for six years. I was a columnist in that state for another four. So I've I've just seen this happen a lot. Late in the season, especially at home. As a, as an underdog, Auburn finds ways to win these kinds of games, and I just wouldn't be surprised. I just wouldn't be surprised at all if Texas A and M looks up in the fourth quarter and it's like we are in a a, a cat fight here with um, with Auburn. And then, like you said, that next week, if you're Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, it's your shot to impact the national race. Let it all hang out, and they can score. Ole Miss can score, and. Um, 
from a from a optics standpoint, I think I think A and M is at a place where for them to get in, they've got to be super impressive. And I just don't know that the I don't know that the setup is there for them to do. I don't know that they can blow out Auburn. I don't know that they can blow out Ole Miss. I think they can blow out Tennessee. But I, I question whether they can blow out those other two teams, and they need blowouts in those. Yeah, games. they don't have an explosive offense. A and M is a a team that plays more around the line of scrimmage. So as they, if they're able to beat Auburn and Ole Miss and Tennessee, it's going to be the ability to compress them defensively. You know, again, there's a couple of those teams on that schedule, mainly Ole Miss, and to some degree Auburn, that may be able to score some points, but. It's going to be about AM controlling the football, running the football. Um, and then I think there's an ability because some of those teams will play a little bit more zone coverage. That's where you get the tight end open, and that's where their offense can be a little bit more effective. But I think against the elite teams, which these teams that they're playing are not elite, yeah. um, they struggle. And so uh, I think AM's good. I think they're really good. I think they're well coached. I think they're good at the line of scrimmage. And look, I, I, I think that. Uh, to your point, and I'm, I kind of referenced it earlier, Auburn. Um, yeah, they're they're still always, always murmuring about Gus and his future, and there always is. It seems like, <laughs> and I, I don't think they're going to do anything this year. But it, it is is so much. You know, I call Gus Lazarus. I mean, no one just comes back from the dead. It'd be just like him to pull the upset over Anum, and it's doable because AM is not going to explode on you. The game, by definition, is probably going to be close unless you really start losing possessions and turn it over and give them short fields. That's when they can kind of blow it out. Uh, Florida beats Kentucky 34 to 10. I don't know how much of this you watched. I watched a good bit of it. Florida, I thought, played kind of bored. They they got ahead. They they had the game in hand. I mean, it was back and forth, but you could tell all along Florida was going to win the game. And I, I thought the Gators were a little bored. And then once they pulled away and made it comfortable, I thought they got bored again. Uh, give Kentucky some credit. On the heels of a sixty point loss at Alabama, they they showed up and they were competitive and they played hard. But but Florida's a really good team that is lining up for a uh, a huge opportunity on December the 19th. They will be a considerable underdog against Alabama, but the truth is they don't have to be better than Alabama all year. They've got to be better than Alabama one time. And uh if they do, they're they're in the tournament. I don't think it's going to happen, but but they're pointing towards that game and you could see that a little bit on on Saturday, I thought. Yeah, although I would say the one thing that's been consistent is their defense is not good. Right. It's not good. And, you know, it, it's one thing to be bored in this game. Their defense has been bored all year long. I mean, their defense can't get off blocks. And Kentucky just controlled the football. And that's why it was, you know, I mean, they just they didn't have the football enough on offense because Kentucky controlled the football. Now, Kentucky can't do enough with it. They can't score enough points. That's going to be the concern. I, I just – you know, I'm I'm going to save it to when the time comes, but I just throw it out right now because everybody's wanting to know. Is like, you know, Florida can't run the football very well, and they don't try to, and their defense struggles. They're going to really struggle defensively against Alabama, but more so than, you know, giving up 70 points. It's, you know, it's not that. 
Alabama's going to be able to run the football on them and keep their offense off the field, much like Kentucky was able to do for parts of the game and some other people. But but Alabama has the explosive playmaking ability to finish drives with points, and I I think that's that's a that's a lot tougher matchup. And I think there's a greater separation between Alabama and Florida than maybe, maybe most people think. But, again, got a couple of games before for each team. We don't know about the health of the teams, but I, I, I still look at this Florida team, and everybody says, well, they got a, they got a couple more weeks to get the kinks out. Florida's defense doesn't have kinks, okay? They got dents. They got big dents. They don't have difference-making guys up front. They are very average at best on defense and they got to work around it pure and simple and i think you saw some of the frustration with dan and ty granham got into it a little bit in the sidelines that's just part of you know and i i I, kind of feel for dodd because it's probably thinking you know what the bleep do you want me to do i mean i'm i'm kind of you know he wants to be real aggressive he can't hold up but you got to take chances to get pressure it's ain't a whole lot there there's that i always say Neil, when, when you when you got the play sheet and you're a defensive coordinator, I can't rush the passer. I can't cover when I bring play. There's not a spot on that for, you know, it's kind of like on offense. Shoot, we can't block. We can't protect. Yeah, this is they, there's not a spot that says we suck on all these things. This is going to work because you'd have, that would have been up at front. It's just, it's tough sometimes. I think they're, very average, and you're right. They're going to have to have a game in which uh, against an Alabama type where they're going to have to get an early lead, and Alabama's going to have to you know, fritter the ball away, turn yeah. it over. You know, they're going to have to throw the ball to them because you're not, they don't get stops. Yeah. They can get some picks or some turnovers. And that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to sell out. And you know what happens when you sell out? You're going to give up big plays. Yeah, they have to have Alabama have a very un-Alabama-like game, which doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often. Yeah. Uh, Georgia beat South Carolina 45-16. to 16. Let's start with this. What's the uh, the timeline in, from what you're hearing on when South Carolina will make a hire? I'll tell you, we talked about this last week. Uh, I, I hear Shane Beamer's name more and more and more and more with this job. Uh, doesn't mean that he's the guy, but boy, he's the guy that's got smoke around him in, in Columbia right now. Yeah, first of all, they have spoken to a lot of people. They have contacted a lot of people. I mean, people that were not so much in the media. Like, I don't know if any of the media brought out that Scott Satterfield was approached and um, God, who else? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to look at my notes. There are two, three people that hadn't been out in the media that they actually tried to approach and want to talk to. And so doing their due diligence, I don't think they're in a rush. I think, you know, you, you heard, uh, Candace story lead Vanderbilt talk about, well, we get the early signing day and you know, that, that, that certainly makes, t- you can't rush a hire, yeah. you know, but you got, you know, certainly what must be done you need to do it um i don't think they're in the rush and i and i do think that um they're in a position if 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 shane's who they want and and you're right he's been mentioned probably the most at least publicly then you know i I know he wants the job they're they're big on the connection and i you know so 
um, you know, the connection with the program and with Steve. And look, I mean, here, here's the thing about it. And I take this for what you want. I take this, you know, however you want to take it. Um, even though he's not with the program anymore, there's a, and he's, he's an ambassador in Florida, Steve Spurrier, when he left, I mean, he basically told them to hire Will Muschamp. Yeah. Will's, you know, and, and, uh, he's, he's really pushing Shane Beamer and, and Shane, you know, work for him and all that. That's, it's great. And if that's what they want to do, got, got speed. Um, it's not the direction I would go. Not, not that I'm against Shane. I just think they're better options, but, um, it, it, the timetable is probably going to be, you know, I mean, it's not a rush and in, in a couple of weeks and I think they'll get that done. Uh, but you know, we are, as we turn December 1st, we are, we are getting close to that signing day. And uh, I would think in a couple of weeks, we'd have something if not sooner. Yeah. 15 days until the signing period starts. Yep. So, you know, if you wait till December the 19th for those games to end, to hire a coach, you are, you're really well, in that late period. And it's hard. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, 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 to me, if if it is Shane, that that can be wrapped up this week. Yeah. It, it, if they are also wanting to speak to maybe a couple of other people before people want to say, well, because what will end up happening probably is they'll probably end up hiring Shane. I mean, I'm just going to take a guess. Let's just say they end up hiring Shane. Well, why'd you wait so long? You could have hired him because they wanted to speak to a couple of other people to make sure. And then, you know, so sometimes the timing, I don't think they're going to make the hire just so they can get it done as soon as they can before signing day. They want to get the hire right first, which I think everyone could understand that. And the only way to really do that is to interview a lot of people. And real quick, because I know it been involved in a lot of coaching search stuff, I always encourage interview as many people as possible. And if you're a, a, a candidate, interview as many places as possible. You you don't realize how much you get as an administrator or, or as a GM um, or front office executive in NFL. The, the more you interview different people about your program, your job, what you're doing, what people think of it is instrumental. And the guy I learned that the most was from Al Davis. I was a young guy and I thought I was get I was getting interviewed by Al Davis. And I was, man, I'm like, wow. And I realized all I was doing is getting used for information yeah. on on evaluating where I was and my I mean everything from evaluating their holder. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a great resource to learn. And, and on big picture, I mean, I just say get fresh notebooks and a lot of pens, take a lot of notes. You can learn a lot about your program and you can also learn a lot about who would be good people to put on staff. And believe it or not, you end up finding your next coach or you never know what goes on down there. And I say it all along that the, when Bill Cower got hired by the Steelers, it was because of the interview he had with the Browns when the Browns hired Belichick. Kyle had such a good interview. They wanted to hire Belichick off the giant staff, but it was that interview and the relationship with Art, Art Modell and the Roonies. That's what got Bill Cower the interview, and he just – he nailed it in that interview, and he ended up getting a Steeler job because of it. That, that gets out there. So just some thought about interviews in general. 
on the Georgia end, uh, Georgia gets 45 points. They've kind of found themselves offensively. It's too late for this year, but going into the uh, 2021 season, a little bit of something to build on with JT Daniels, the quarterback, right? Yeah, and they shut it down. I mean, he only threw it 16 times. They didn't They didn't really – now, that's another team that's quit. South Carolina is just, yeah, just nothing there, and that's not Will. Will doesn't run it up, and they're running the football, control the game. It was – it wasn't really. It was a. It was superiority there. This this game was probably as ugly as the Vanderbilt Missouri game. At least you had a storyline in the Missouri game. This storyline was. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby it was really bad. Kirby didn't want to run it up on Mike Bobo. That's no, he doesn't run, and he doesn't really run it up on anybody. But you know, he, good friends, his teammate. No, you're right. There's no question about that. We talked about Missouri and Vanderbilt. Let's touch this real quick. I think Elijah Drinkwitz does not get the credit that he deserves. They they have very quietly had a really nice first season there. In, in outstanding, done a good job. Outstanding. Remember this: all these coaching hires that are opening now, the two that people scratch their head: Elijah Drinkwitz, um, Eli Drinkwitz, and I laugh because. Somebody called him. He was saying the other day, somebody called him Elijah. <laughs> he says, he said, we can't, they can't even pronounce my name right. Eli Drinkwich and Sam Pittman were the two that said, yeah. what are they doing? Yeah. And it's just, um, they oh, are, they're I, really doing a good job. And yeah. curious to see what they can do in recruiting and build off of this. But no, I, I think he's right up there with Sam. Sam has got more of the in terms of coach of the year. I really, I really think they're they've probably done as much with anybody. I mean, because look, the reality is, it's not the worthy award is. Uh, you could Saban coaches and probably does the best job every year coaching, but you're not going to get that at that type of an award. Uh, I think it's between those two, and I think that um, I think that the. Uh, Eli's done as good a job as Sam. Sam is a little bit more personable, and and it's a little bit more of a story because, look, I mean, Arkansas hadn't won a game in three years. So uh, I, it could go either way and probably going to depend upon how this ends up. The other game we haven't talked about, the Egg Bowl here in Oxford. Ole Miss beats Mississippi State 31-24. to The Rebels now 4-4. Four and four. Um you know, I think Lane Kiffin could win it, but he had, he'd have to beat A and M and LSU to do it. If he if he went six and four at Ole Miss this year, he'd he'd get strong consideration for that. Yeah. Award. Uh, but what Ole Miss has done consistently week in and week out is is played pretty solid offense. They had some opportunities early in this game, Chris, to make it a laugher, and they didn't do it. And to Mississippi State's credit, they kind of got into a little bit of a of a groove in the in the second quarter into the second half. Uh, made it an int- a very interesting game, ball in the air at the, la- the last play of the game with the chance for Mississippi State to tie it or, or go for two and try to win it. Ball hits the ground. Mississippi State loses uh, the the golden egg in Oxford. What did you think of the Egg Bowl? You brought up something good. Lane certainly should be under consideration. And you know what? Dan Mullen and Jimbo Fisher have done really good jobs too with their teams, even though they may not be real – they may not get – favorites for the award they they they've done along with alabama some of the best coaching jobs yeah um i want to give mississippi state some credit i thought they played hard they fought and it kind of almost was like this game kind of rose up to them i mean it realized 
you know, the importance of it. And even though there's not this old hate, I just think there was a lot of that, that this was a big game feel for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought they fought. Um, I, I thought Ole Miss was, you know, clearly the better team going in. I, I still think they were the better team going. I, I don't think they played their best. And I think defensively they're really, really vulnerable, but I thought they at times, you know, came up with some big plays, but they gave up more than look, Mississippi state had more success offensively than they've had against most people. And I think that has a lot to do with Ole Miss and in, in their shortcomings on defense. But, um, you know, the, the thing about it, when, when you're a, an Ole Miss and, and you had the type of game they did against Alabama, there's this thought of that. That's what you're going to get every week. And, you know, the offense, hadn't been as good, particularly in the red zone in some of the key games that, that was the difference. And, um, look, you're not going to get that every week, but they're still better. And if you're laying, even though it may not be the golden mission, one and oh, and oh, and one in the egg bowl. And, uh, it does matter. Yeah. Ole Miss had a key drive fourth quarter of that game. Yep. Mississippi state had pulled within three. Yep. And uh, Ole Miss ate, I don't remember the exact amount, four minutes or so off the clock. It was a 77-yard drive, if I recall correctly, maybe nine plays. And uh, ended they ended it by running it in uh, with uh, Jerry Ealy, if I remember correctly. That's and correct. I, I, thought that was a, I thought that was a big moment for their program under Kiffin that in, in, a, in a moment where if it gets away, boy, it's going to be a really tough loss to just kind of put the game in, in control, you're doing it your way. Uh, driving down the field and, and ending it. I thought that was was a big moment for Ole Miss under Lincoln. It, it, it's a finish. You got to have a finished drive. It's what you say in practice. Guys, we got to drive to win the game. We've got to finish it. We need to come in. We need to close it out. And they did that. And they were able to do that. And I, I, I what I like about their offense is more complete than Mississippi State. So they can run it. You know, they can run tempo up and down and get outside. I think I think they're more complete offensively, which is why I like them going in. I like them coming out. And, you know, I like I like what they're doing offensively, and I think Lane is onto some good things there. Yeah, I I agree. I I thought I think they're off to a good start. I think that you're seeing them get some recruiting uh, momentum right now and and um you know, we'll see. We'll see. Like you said, They've got a couple of games left. They don't play this weekend. They've got a couple of dates, um, a couple of dates left on the calendar. A and M, and then at LSU. And I want to get to LSU here in a second because it's about to get uh, it's about to get rough in in Baton Rouge, in my opinion. And I'm curious what you thought of of the uh, the high profile opt out on Sunday. You called it quitting. No one's arguing that. Um, LSU's got Alabama coming in this weekend. Alabama's a 28-point favorite, and the smart money is all over the Crimson Tide on this one. Then they've got to go, I believe, to Florida, and then they're going to come home on the 19th and play an Ole Miss team that has absolutely zipped to lose with the high-profile offense. It's I tweeted this last night. It's got a chance to get ugly in December in Baton Rouge. What are, what are, you're down there. I know you have a, a, a kind of a finger on the pulse of that program. What's going on? Well, it has been ugly. I mean, all year long, there's a sense that there is a lot of quit. I mean, you know, guys um, opting out or, as I say, quitting. Um, a lot of that was pretty reflective. I mean, if you look at and, – and, look, I I thought the defense did some good things 
against Arkansas, and they did some good things this past week uh, against A&M. But the reality is there's a lot, there's a quite a bit of a lack of discipline. And people say, well, what happened last year? I don't get it. And, and real quick, last year was a bit of a perfect storm, but you had great leadership amongst players, mainly the quarterback. So everything kind of fell in. Ed is is mostly a recruiter and a salesman. And he's he's so much about, you know, hey Neil, how the best how's the best running back in the country? You know, hey Chris, how's the best safety in the country? You know, I mean, that's 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 what he is. And it's a lot of, you know, yeah, he does this whole screaming and holler. It's it's it, it, it's false bravado. He's very loose. And so if you have the wrong staff and the wrong leadership in the locker room, it will implode or it can explode in a positive way. Last year it exploded. This year you had a lot of players, some of defensively, that were basically shunned by Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini basically came in and said, in so many words, you, I watched your defense. You guys were soft. You stunk last year. I'm here running the defense now. We're doing it my way. And that led to some guys leaving early. And the ones that stayed weren't real happy. So the attitude was, okay, you know, I got to play here and I'm getting ready to prepare for the league. It's kind of what they've played like. And now some of them have picked it up. And I, but it's all about kind of individualized. And then offensively, they're just not good. Yeah. Miles Brendan went down. They're not as well coached or not as well. And, and to sum it up, they're not nearly as talented as they were last year, and they're not nearly as well coached. And there's no discipline. There's no real organization because that's not Ed. Ed is a facilitator. So he is going to – it's going to be like a seesaw. It's either going to be hit or miss depending upon his staff that he puts together. Give him credit for – well, I mean, he inherited Aranda – but he put Joe Brady. Now he wasn't the guy that found Joe Brady, but he hired him. Sure, absolutely. and and he did it, and he deserved it, and in and he brought in Joe Burrow, and he sold it. That's what he does, and it worked. Now this is what you get with him. Now I would think that at some point it'll level out, and it'll be somewhere in between. But you you're not gonna. It's not like Ed can go in and fix it. Ed doesn't know how to fix it. You know, when he when he hired Matt Canada, that blew up in his face, and it became a disaster. Hired Joe Brady, it's been was great. And you know, so that's what you're getting. And so the Terrence Marshall opting, I'm like, man, I, you know, he's a baller, he's a player. There's a number of guys on that team that have individual talent, but they're playing like individuals and they have all year long. And that's kind of reflective of what this team is. And I do think there were problems there. They were absolute problems. Ed doesn't have a lot of polish. You can't, if you're the head coach and you're dealing with the issues that we had with the social injustice, you can't sit there and kind of make it known that your buddies with Trump, which was kind of, uh, I mean, a little bit overstated, but you know, they kind of hit it off when they went to the white house and yada, yada. You don't do that. You have to play that down because you have to understand the very guys that you're recruiting and the very guys that you're coaching 
think differently. And that's why I always say I'm not someone that likes to talk politics because what I think doesn't matter. What I think might offend you out there. And I don't want to do that. And you've got to be mindful of that. And I think Ed sometimes felt like, well, I, he's president. I better do this. And and in, and I'm going to tell you, that was a big turnoff. And a lot of those guys kind of turned their nose and said, I don't know if this is a guy that I want to go to the wall against. And when you bring in Bo Pelini and Bo Pelini's basically cutting those guys down, some of those guys are saying, you know, we did win the FN championship last year. So we ain't, we ain't dogs. And where the hell were you? You were at Youngstown state. And so that is in, in essence, kind of what's happened there and why it's so bad. And I think it could get a lot worse the next three weeks because of who they're playing. Alabama and Florida could be just out and out embarrassments. Um, and then I, I think for them, a, a loss to Ole Miss would be, you know, that's, that's, that'd be like more embarrassed. I think they expect to lose to Florida and Alabama. I, I think they probably think they can beat Ole Miss and I'm not sure that they will. We'll uh, look real quick at, at this weekend's games coming up. First, I do want to tell you that we're brought to you in part by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly throughout the uh, thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores. Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience from services to products. Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh and always provide the freshest flavors of their brand name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. A smile can say it all, and Blue Sky wants to show their customers that they care about them and their shopping experience. They'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any one of their 48 store locations across the Southeast. All right, we've got a uh, pretty full slate of games this week in the uh, in the SEC. Texas A&M is at Auburn. Huge game. For the Aggies, as we mentioned, it's a game they absolutely have to have. An interesting game in uh, Columbia, Missouri. I saw where Sam Pittman said his team's finally back to something resembling full strength. So they go to uh, Como to play the the Red Hot Tigers. At Speaking 11. of Coach of the Year, if if yeah. it's those two, that may mean the may mean the difference here. Maybe they'll fight it out at midfield. <laughs> well, uh, trust me, that's not a fight, Big Sam. And uh, Eli looks like he's belongs in the chemistry lab. <laughs> uh florida at tennessee i, I, I well, remember when that used to be really oh, yeah. something the peyton manning days when this oh, was it's something <laughs> now it's something else now vanderbilt <laughs> at georgia is something else oh uh, god on it kentucky no thank you i just nope nope not watching that one and then uh the one that a lot of people are going to look at alabama at lsu a prime seven, time prime time game on cbs and there are rumblings in, in Tuscaloosa, Chris, that this is a game that even though even though it's not what it usually has been the last decade or so, this is one that Alabama has had circled for quite some time. Alabama's not big on revenge. That's not who they are. But they did not like that leaked video out of the uh, out of the locker room <laughs> in Tuscaloosa last year. And I have a feeling that Ed Orgeron is going to pay for those words. Yeah, and, and that's a perfect example of what I was talking about. You know, some of that stuff gets said in every locker room that tells you what lack of discipline you have when a player feels it's okay to take out a cell phone and shoot yeah. that and let that go. Yeah. How many plays, you know, that doesn't happen. That happens a lot, m meaning the comments. 
it doesn't get out. It's known. That tells you that tells you a lot there. That, that to me, it told me a lot. It, it, it was controlled and it was a non-issue because they were so talented and on the field they were fine. But that tells that's a precursor to little things that I see. And yep. um, look, that was the first sign that Antonio Brown got run out of Pittsburgh too when he did the same thing. You just don't do those things. Um, don't have no, things that don't happen in Tuscaloosa. You don't see that happen there. I guarantee you. And, 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 and I'm telling you, there's some things said in those locker rooms that, you know, about, you know, it, it just doesn't, it's kept in that locker room. You're right. I think if there's a chance to kind of make it ugly, they will. Spartan Barton uh, is going to give us the teaser to get to, uh, to, we're going to tape on Thursday. Actually, Chris has something going on on Friday. So we'll tape on Thursday at 9 a.m. So just 48 hours from now, we'll get back together. And one of the things we'll talk about, Chris, is is there any chance that Auburn upsets A&M? And if Auburn were to upset A&M, how would Auburn do it? Uh, the other game that would be upset-worthy, of course, would be if there's any way at all that Tennessee could find enough of themselves to give Florida a contest. That could that could shake the race a little bit, I suppose, although all Florida's got to do is win because they get their shot against Alabama one way or the other. And then we'll talk about LSU and, and, and Alabama and about just how bad it could get. And if it goes, I mean, look, Ed Orgeron's not getting fired this season, even if they lose out. But we could talk about what it means for going into next season if this season ends badly, where it feels like it's completely falling apart. Ed Orgeron said yesterday he's going to win another championship at LSU. I'll ask you on Friday, on Thursday, hmm. if if Ed Orgeron is is going to prove to be prophetic, how will he go about doing that? So there'll be a, a number of things that uh, we'll touch on when we get back together on uh, Thursday morning. Thanks to all of you for being in the thread. A uh, bunch of you. Yeah, involved. great job. Great job, guys. Appreciate everybody participating in that. And don't Subscribe. Forget- subscribe to our Twitch channel. Absolutely. Make sure do you that. do that. And, and uh, don't forget, Chris has at Landry Football, LandryFootball.com. He's got game previews, reviews, film, all sorts of things as we get to really some of the fun time of the year when we start talking about coaching changes and uh, stuff getting shake, shook up. We'll turn some of our attention to recruiting here soon, the signing period, two weeks from Wednesday. So a lot for us to get to here on SEC Football and Beyond. Thanks to all of you for being with us. For Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. We'll be back with you later this week for another edition of the show. Until then, stay safe, take care, talk to you soon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.